Hello and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today our lead pastor, Dave Johnson, will bring a message of hope through our series, Moses Faithful Servant. We're excited to share another powerful episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. Oh, wow. So if I took one thing from that video, dads, play with your kids. This is what they love. Play with your kids. They love that. Oh, man. There was one kid that said that they loved dad jokes, which every dad loves that. Every dad wants their kid to love dad jokes. I was, I'm starting a new business, actually. Uh, for, it's a math business for short people. I'm calling it Making the Little Things Count. <laughs> I know. I know. Really bad dad joke. Okay. Sorry. We had it. I told the staff this morning, some of you are just getting that. I love it. It's like, I heard, oh, and then some of you were laughing, and then now you're like, oh, that's, that's bad. I love that jokes sometimes land later for people. Okay, well, I told the staff this morning, we had so many Father's Day things to do. I was like, this does not count against my sermon time. Got a lot of stuff to cover this morning. So we've been in the book of Exodus. We've been talking about Moses. We're on this series where we're kind of looking at Moses' life and what God has done through Moses' life. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up to, to uh, I keep wanting to say Matthew for whatever reason, but Exodus chapter 4, maybe it's because I've been on vacation for a week. Exodus chapter 4, we're going to be in there. Just put your thumb in that. We're going to get in there in a moment. Have you ever been asked to do something big, bigger than you should be able to handle? Maybe it's at work where your boss asked you to do a big project and you're like, that's probably bigger than I can handle, but you did it. And when you did it, it increased your capacity or, or maybe it's something like, um, you know, uh, we just had a family adopting. Well, that's big. I, I don't know if I could do that. But once you step into what you're asked to do that's bigger than you think that you could handle, God increases your capacity. I, I, I love uh, bike riding. I'm, I'm no Pastor Evan Huffman, who used to be a you know, world tour cyclist. Uh, I, I'm no Pastor Evan, but I love cycling, and I, I love doing that all the time. And the way that I got into that was when I was in high school, my youth pastor at the time uh, we canceled youth group in the summer and all it was was massive trips all summer long. You fundraised all year to do these crazy trips. And one of these trips was that we rode bikes from Azusa Pacific University to um, Point Loma Nazarene University. And if you know those two universities, one is in Azusa, California, which is in Southern California, LA area. You take the bike path down to the beach and then you ride PCH basically all the way to San Diego. That was a really long trip for our junior high and high schools, high schoolers to do. And we would take up to 60 kids on this trip. It was nuts. I still look back and go, I don't even understand how you created a waiver that could even work for this. You know, some of you are attorneys and you're like, yep, nope, this would never fly anymore. Yeah, we got to do stuff in youth ministry years ago that we could just never do now. But we do these long bike trips, and I just remember thinking, I could never make that. That sounds insane. But then we did that, and it like increased our capacity. We were able to do more than we ever thought or imagined because we did something big. Have you ever been asked to do something so big that it increases your capacity? 
for leading, for loving, for whatever it might be. This is what Moses is being asked to do. Last week, he, we saw, when Pastor Evan preached last week, we saw that God confronted Moses in this burning bush, and he's asking him to go back to Pharaoh, the guy who he, he was raised in Pharaoh's court. He's asking him to go back to Pharaoh and to let the people go. Let the, by, by the, the cheap labor reserve of Egypt, let them all go. No country would do that. But Moses is asked by God to go do something incredible. And he knows he's got to go. But he's unsure of himself. A couple of times in his life, or a couple of times standing in front of the burning bush already, Pastor Evan talked about these last week, God, or Moses gave two objections to God. Two objections, kind of uh, maybe a little bit argumentative, but we find Moses kind of arguing with God, saying, God, there, there's got to be somebody better than me than, than to send to go do this big task. Maybe that's how you felt when your boss came to you, when your spouse came to you, when, when, when God confronted you with, this is the life I want you to lead. Maybe you felt the same way. I know when it came to ministry for me, I felt the same way. God, there's got to be somebody else. There's got to be somebody better. You really want me to give you every Sunday for the rest of my life, God? No, it's a joke. You guys can laugh now. Of course. God, you, you really want me to do, there's got to be somebody different, right? And I, I know this. I, I, I've lived this. I feel this for Moses as he's standing before God. And he knows his people are oppressed. He knows his people need saving. But God is asking him all this Big, big task to do, to go release his people. So last week, one of the things we learned in Exodus chapter 3 was that God gave his divine name, Yahweh. And in that divine name, what it means is it sets him apart from all the other gods. And one of the things that we don't have a very clear grasp of is the biblical idea of gods, right? Because in America, we just think like, oh, you know, these people worship uh, these false wooden pagan idols and things like that. Well, what we have to understand is that to Moses and to the Egyptians and even to the Israelites, the, the Egyptian gods were very real. They were a very real part of life and culture that everybody just worshipped. It was just a standard way of life that these Egyptian gods were worshipped by the Egyptian culture so frequently that it was just a very real thing. So now, when God says, I'm Yahweh, he's giving this divine name of, I'm not just the God of water, I'm not just the God of fire, I'm not just the God of the sun or the Nile or any of these other things. I'm the God, the self-created one, the self-existing one, the one who stood before time. I'm that God who is going to go, and by the way, we're going to look at plagues in the next couple of weeks, who's going to go judge all of the other gods of Egypt. So God apparently thought those gods were real too, by the way. We'll get in a little bit more of that next week. So he's going to go judge all these other gods. And, and Moses, you're going to be the guy who stands in front of Pharaoh, who carries my divine name, and tells Pharaoh what's going to happen. You're going to lead my people out. And not only do you need to contend and deal with Pharaoh, but you also are going to need to deal with your stubborn people, the Israelites. 
And we're going to look at all these characters soon. So if you remember from Exodus chapter 3, Moses has two objections. The first objection, who am I that you would send me? Who, who am I literally? And God's response was not, he did not say, Moses, you're such a great guy. Moses, I, I love you. Moses, you're, you're wonderful. Moses, you're smarter than everybody else. He didn't give Moses any of the qualifications that Moses was looking for. Moses said, who am I? And he was expecting to hear something like, well, see, Moses, you're really great and I need you. But instead, God just said, I'll be with you. Because our qualifications don't matter when God calls us to something, because God will be with us. So God just said, I'll be with you. And when God calls you to do something, he'll be with you in that. And so this is what he says, I'll be with you. And then the second objection is, well, what's your name even? You're like, who do I say called me? And he said, God says, I am who I am. And that translates to Yahweh. And now we get into Exodus chapter 4, and Moses just has more objections. So if you're with me in Exodus chapter 4, oh, this is another time, by the way. Uh, you can have your phone now. If your Bible's on your phone, use that. That's fine. Verse 1, Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned it back into a staff in his hands. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God, the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then he said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous, and it had become white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak. He said, so Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some of the water of the Nile and pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So Moses' first objection is, what if they don't believe me? And one of the things that you have to pay attention to in this text is, who is Moses talking about when he says they? He's actually talking about these two different groups of people. One, he's got to go lead the Israelites back into, back out of Egypt and into the promised land. He's got to go do this. So what if they don't believe me? My own people you have to remember just a couple of chapters ago, Moses is in the desert running from Egypt and his wife's family, his wife introduces, uh, well, it's not his wife at the time, but the woman he's going to marry introduces Moses to her dad as an Egyptian. Moses still looks like an Egyptian. He still has not gotten all the Egypt out of him. He's in the desert still kind of being raised as an Egyptian and God needs to bring him back into the knowledge of Yahweh of who he is and what his character is. And so the first thing that Moses' objection was is, what if they don't believe me, the Israelites? Because I kind of still look like an Egyptian. But the other they in the story too is Pharaoh. What if Pharaoh doesn't believe me? Is Pharaoh going to want to get rid of all of the slaves that he owns? Because this is common ancient warfare. This is ancient everyday life is that if you went into debt, if you, anything like that, you became a slave. If you conquered another territory, the plunder that you would take was people. 
and money, but mainly people, because you had to do your own building projects. And this was common everyday life in the ancient world. It's terrible, it's awful, but it's just common everyday life. So Egypt is like, no, we, this is our plunder. We got these people, we enslaved them, they're our cheap labor reserve, they're the ones building all these towns, we need them. So what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? So God says, what is in your hand? That's a very important question for anybody who's been called by God. That's a very important question for anybody who God has maybe like nudging in your heart, I want you to do something. Because all Moses had in his, staff, in his hand was his shepherd's staff. That's it. A big stick. It's just about as common as anything you could find in the desert. Just a big stick lying around. That's it. Moses didn't have an education in his hand. He didn't have like a million dollars in his hand. He didn't have any, like, any of the common things that you would think. He didn't have an army in his hand. He didn't have any of this stuff in his hand. But what God said is, what I could do is take anything that's in your hand and make it useful for my purposes. What's in your hand? You think about all the times in the Bible where God just used whatever was in somebody's hand. Their first feeling is God is literally that. God could use whatever is in your hand. I mean, think through this with me for a second. When we surrender whatever small things it is that we have, however small and trifling and, and tiny it might be to the Lord, he could do something incredible with that. And he wants to do something incredible with that to build your faith and to build the faith of others. So Moses threw this, uh, this stick on the ground. It became a snake. By the way, some of you are like me, and you like to get these fun Bible nerd connections. I told you in week one that Pharaoh was described just like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, by the way. And now Moses is throwing a stick down, and he's able to handle it carefully. What God's telling him is, you're, you're like this new Adam-type character who could pick up serpents and be okay right? You could handle the serpent of, of, the, of Eden. So it's sort of like God's building his faith too. That's sort of one of the other bigger literary things that's happening in the text. But as we move on, God will do this all through the Bible. In, in the books of Kings, there's a widow woman who's afraid that she's not going to be able to feed her family. So Elijah comes in and says, well, what do you have laying around the house? She's like, well, I just have a couple of jars, and I don't have any olive oil. And she goes, go borrow all the jars from everybody in the village. And, and as she brought all the jars in from the village, she took the little bit of olive oil she had, filled it all up in all these jars, sold it all, and used it to pay her husband's debts and to live off of. What's in your hand? That's the question. Jesus is teaching for a few days and nights to 5,000 people, and there's just this little boy there with a couple loaves of bread and fish, and, and the, the disciples are like, Jesus, everyone's hungry. And, and the question that Jesus had was not like, well, why don't you go buy him something to eat? Why don't you go figure something out? What's in your hand? What do we have? What do we have that I could multiply? What do we have that I could bless? What's in your hand? If God is calling you, if God is leading you in your life and, and leading you for a purpose or a task, what is in your hand? God wants to use that however small it might be because in God's hands is something incredible and mighty. 
When you surrender the small things in your hand, God can do incredible things with it. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 says this, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things in the world to shame the strong. God wants to take, even if you've got this teeny tiny little gift, God wants to take it and use it for his purposes. Whatever it is that is in your hands submitted to the Lord is far more powerful than any little magic trick you can come up with or anything that you could do. So take what's in your hand, even though it might be weak, and submit it to the Lord because he wants to do great things with it. Then he said, take your hand and pull it out of your cloak, another what's in your hand. And then he says, take the water from the Nile. If they still don't believe you, take the water from the Nile and pour it out and it'll become blood. Which, by the way, we're going to look at next week when we look at plagues. This is foreshadowing to the first plague of the Nile turning into blood. But a judgment on Pharaoh who killed babies in the Nile. And we're going to look at that next week. (laughs) But let's keep reading. Moses said, this is verse 10 now. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And see, the irony of this moment is that Moses is actually being pretty eloquent before the Lord, even as he's saying this right now. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It is, is it not I, the Lord? So this is Moses' fourth objection, from starting in chapter 3. His fourth objection, I'm not an eloquent speaker. The translation of what Moses is saying is, I'm heavy of mouth and tongue. Have you ever had one of those days? I, I, all the time. I just, you just trip over your tongue. It's like your tongue is like a giant brick in your mouth, and you're like, I'm just not going to talk the rest of the day. This is what Moses is saying. I'm not an eloquent speaker. Now, the interesting thing, like I even mentioned right now, is that scholars for generations have pointed out that after Aaron, his brother, helped him the first couple times, Moses was actually a pretty good speaker and gave many big speeches. This was more of like this little teeny tiny thing that he had that he was trying to make into a big old excuse. It also could be that Moses was just being humble. Why me? I'm not worthy. And when you're standing before a holy God, you see this all the time in the Bible. I'm not worthy. You see it in Isaiah when he's standing before God in the throne room. God, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a whole people that are are messed up. So why are you choosing me? God, don't choose me. I'm the worst. This could be also what Moses is doing. And, and again, this is all through the Bible. I, I, I've just thrown on the screen a whole little list of um, scenes in the Bible. Genesis 18, Abraham says, I've been, have, I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. See, when you're before God, you recognize your own nothingness, right? Moses uh, in 410, I've never been eloquent, I'm slow of speech. 1 Samuel 9, 21, Saul answered, but I'm not a, I am not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe. Of, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And my clan is the least among the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. All the people that God has called, and I'm not going to go through all the rest, but all the people that God calls to be leaders, that are faithful leaders, 
Look, look to God and say, I, I, I'm not worthy of this. I can't do it. And it's important to recognize your own inability to do what God has asked you to do. Because I truly believe God wants human partners that know they can't do it. That know that on my own, I'm going to mess this thing up. On my own, I'm going to break stuff. Lord, I need you with me every step of the way. And this is sort of what Moses is getting at here. In fact, your next film is Moses understood his own inability to carry out God's plan. I, I truly believe God has callings on each of your life. And, and maybe it's, it's to, to represent him to your family. Maybe it's to represent him at your work. Maybe some of you have a calling to be a pastor and it just you have not really dealt with that yet. You've been called to ministry, but you're sort of like hiding away. Maybe some of you are called to, to lead people in the marketplace and, and lead Bible studies in the marketplace. God will deal with, you, you need to understand your own limits, your own inabilities, but that's the most important thing, is to understand that you can't do it and that you need the help of God in every aspect of it. And this is what Moses was doing. God, I need your help. Moses understood his own inability to carry out God's plan. He understood his need. God calls us because he wants human partnership. Could God have just waltzed into Egypt and wiped out, you know, took his people and plopped them down? Of course. Could God have just wiped out Pharaoh? Of course. God could have just done all this stuff without ever having human partners. But from the very beginning pages of the Bible to the very end of the pages of the Bible, we see where God calls humans to partner with God to carry out his will. That's why I say God's got a calling on your life. God's got a purpose and a plan for you. He, he wants something for you. And you might be here saying, I'm not able. I, I don't have the power. I don't have the imagination. I don't have the, the strength. I don't have the willpower. I, I just don't have the money. I don't have any of that. Perfect. You're the exact right person to carry out God's plan. Because when you get to this point, you'll stop buying the hype about how great you are. And God needs to get you to get to that point where you stop buying the hype about your own greatness. Because when you stop believing that you're great and God's gift to humanity, that he could really use you in really powerful ways. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant. I've got another objection, God. Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> it's like, let me just get to the heart of the matter. I don't, I'm not doing it, God. I don't want to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He'll speak to the people for you, and it'll be as if he were your mouth and as if, I, as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand in, so that you could perform signs with it. Now, we get to the heart of the matter Moses just doesn't want to do it. This is one of his final, his final objections. It's just, I don't want to do it. And one of the things that we see here, and, and, and it's uncomfortable, but I, I want to talk about it. God's anger 
burned against Moses. We, don't, we like to skip over passages in the Bible about God's anger, don't we? Because we like to think of God like our grandpa. Like my grandpas were, I mean, they're both with the Lord now, but my grandpas were phenomenal people. If you're a grandpa here today, you're an amazing dude. All you do is love your grandkids. You give them money when they come over and treats and candy. It's like, you're, you're amazing, grandpa. You're phenomenal. Yeah, it's, hey, it's Father's Day, not Grandpa's Day. I'm joking. Could, obviously, you got to be a grandfather, a father to be a grandfather. <laughs> My point is that's the sort of God we want. We don't ever want to, we want to take these anger verses and just kind of scratch them out there. But the reality is God is not angry because he's prideful and he's, Moses doesn't like his plan. God cannot be full of pride. Pride is a sin. God's not sinful. God's not full of that. And I don't think God is frustrated at human emotion either, because I think God created us with human emotion, and it's only natural for Moses to be a little bit hesitant about this. But this is your next fill-in, and I think this is really key for today, and especially dads for Father's Day is key for you too. God's anger is because Moses insisted on living beneath God's intentions. God is like, I have this intentional plan for you here. And Moses insisted that he would live here. That's a difficult pill to swallow. How many of us insist on living beneath God's intentions? God's intentions for your sexual life. God's intentions for your own purity. God's intentions for your marriage. Maybe you could have the greatest marriage in the world if only you could surrender your selfishness to God. That's living beneath your intention for marriage. See, God has a life for you that's so incredible and so wonderful and so amazing 